Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. This is the third episode in our three-part series on estate planning. And I'm really grateful to Nathan and Notesong for joining and lending their expertise. Hopefully this series has been helpful and hasn't produced too much anxiety for you. I actually heard from a client this morning and they said, Justin, I'm interested in this topic, but I see this popping up estate planning on my podcast feed. And to be honest, I skipped it because I didn't want to deal with it. Hopefully that's not you, but perhaps you can take this mini series as an encouragement to put from put some infrastructure in place in your life to care for your loved ones. Today is going to be a grab bag episode talking about estate planning and advanced topics and specific questions and case studies and some other questions that you want to be aware of and to address in the event that you want to do an estate plan and put one together in the near future. So this will be it for estate planning. Then we'll put death and dying on hold for the foreseeable future. Uh, As always, thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to episode 105, the third in our three-part series of estate planning. I'm here with Nathan and Notesong of Notesong and Nathan LLP, founders of ThoughtfulWills.com, really innovative and forward-thinking estate planning service that is state agnostic, now doing many, many states in America. I'll have them describe for just a minute how their business works, and then we're going to do grab bag, hot seat, stump the estate planning attorney, important things to think about in your estate plan, construction and implementation, specifically for physicians and high income professionals. So Nathan, Notesong, thanks for being here. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Um, So to kick us off, why don't you just describe the process? If somebody says, I want to do an estate plan with Notesong and Nathan, how does that actually work? They reach out, right? Um, So one of our big pieces is we're here. So if you have any questions, that's, I think the thing is people get nervous and I think it makes sense because lawyers suck and they talk down to people. And so people think they have to like do all this homework before they get ready and then they can talk to the lawyer. So that at least that way they don't feel dumb. Um, And we really kind of try to tell people to just reach out. So we'll meet with you by phone or video if you want, and we'll explain and answer the questions, talk through our services. We have a bunch of different sort of options but really it's sort of, you pick what you want and you, um, you purchase, like you would purchase anything else on the internet. It's sort of weird because, uh, you know, lawyers, it's usually there's retainers and there's all this sort of stuff. Ours is all kind of just like online stuff. Um, like you'd buy regular things from Amazon or Target, um, but better because we're lawyers. Um, and then we send you a worksheet and we just, you know, we're here. It's, you know, the, I think that a big piece of what we've tried to do is sort of realizing that some people really don't like to deal with lawyers, even friendly lawyers that are maybe a little goofy. Um, some people just don't want to. And so we've sort of built a process that really does let you just go through it all on your own. But knowing that we're there watching, we're, we're looking over your interview answers. And if we see that everything makes sense, we leave you alone. And that, again, I, we talked on our last episode about sort of the kindness. That's one of our kindnesses too, I think, as attorneys is like, we don't require you to meet with us. You don't have to sit down and talk through stuff. Um, we let you do it on your own. But, but knowing that we're there the whole time, kind of, I don't want it to sound big brotherish, like we're not, but we do. We watch every step of the way and we look over your documents and make sure they're all correct. And then we send them to you and 
So it's really sort of choose your own adventure, but, um, but we're always on hand to, to talk to people. And how are you able to do this in so many different states? Well, we partner with local council attorneys in states where we're operating and they're key to our success. I mean, they're key to our mission um, because we pro promise all of our clients that a licensed attorney, licensed attorney, professional, um, is reviewing their documents to ensure that it comports with their state's laws. And there I, there I go using a legal, legal word, comport. <laughs> it's okay, it's um, okay. <laughs> but you know, just to make sure, you have to make sure that your estate plan follows the laws of your state. Each state has tiny little nuances. Um, and if one of those is off, then that part of your will or trust or whatever document that we're working on for you um, could be deemed invalid. And so um, it's part of our process. It's something we promise to our clients. So that leads me to the first of my list of questions here. What if I'm moving? So obviously, if you're a physician, you go to med school somewhere, you move across the country to go to residency, you move again for fellowship, maybe you move again for another fellowship. By the time you're done, you might have lived in five different states. First of all, does this matter? Second of all, do I need to update my estate plan along the way? Or is it immediately invalid as soon as I go from residency to fellowship? Um, no, I think it maybe is no the right answer. Um, <laughs> it's not <laughs> invalid. Questions built I know, I realized I, I was so excited because I never answer a question concisely. And so I was ready with this no. And then you asked more follow-up questions in that group. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh shoot. Um, no, your, your plan is not invalid. Um, every state, sort of honors documents that are that are sort of correctly executed and valid in this, the original state. So if I move, you know, if I create my estate plan in Minnesota where I live right now and I do it correctly, and then I move to California, California will honor those documents, even if the sort of rules um, of execution are slightly different in California. Um, there are some sort of best practices and we're willing to talk through it. You know, not willing, that's the wrong word. We're happy to talk, talk through those because again, Everything has a caveat. Um, durable powers of attorney do sort of vary from state to state. And the weird thing with durable powers of attorney is you're taking them to a bank. And um, banks are important, but they tend to be filled with stuffy bankers. And so if you bring your Minnesota durable power of attorney to a bank in California, they might look at it and be like, we don't know what this looks like. This isn't our form that we approve. So um, we do suggest that, you know, sort of we'll look at it depending on, you know, because many states have sort of adopted this sort of uniform. It, this is again, one of those things I, I had a simple answer and I, and now it's not simple. Um, by and large, everything stays the same. There's some best practices and we can talk through, but it depends which state you're, you're coming from and moving to. But again, that's where we're, we're here. We're really excited to sort of talk to our clients about that. Are there any states, let me just ask this directly. I know Louisiana is weird. Mm -hmm. when it comes to the, the legal everything everything um, so can you i know this is like very niche and only like seven people probably listen to this podcast from louisiana but describe that situation how does it impact estate planning well i mean i just actually was communicating this morning about this weird executor or personal representative requirement in florida kentucky and ohio those are all states that we operate in so i know those wonky laws, we call them weird. They're just weird and they're ancient and they don't take into account real life. Um, but in those states, Kentucky, Kentucky and Ohio, your executor and personal representative has to be a resident of that state. If they're not, the court will deem them invalid. They won't be qualify. Um, so what is, right, what's the backup plan there? 
all of the other states have figured this out and they realize, wow, people might be living in a state where they don't really have close family member or friends. And so there's a way to like uh, nominate um, somebody who is a resident to receive notice. Like, okay, this person has died. You need to do these things so that that representative can then notify the out-of-state executor or personal representative. But in Florida, they say, no, it has to be a resident. Um, but what that doesn't take into account is so many variables decades from now, right? These, these documents, hopefully in our, in our best wishes, um, aren't gonna be operative. They, the will won't kick in because you're gonna live for quite a long time after you draft them. So it doesn't take into account that the person who was a resident at the time that you drafted that in Florida might move or you might move, in which case it completely just throws everybody and everything up in the air. So in those situations, then we'll counsel those clients and say, hey, here's the situation, it's your state's laws. But again, here again, this is where you need a professional who's involved and understands the laws. So if I've had clients move to Ohio or Kentucky or Florida, I need to review their estate plan to see if the executor that they have named is a resident of the state in which they now reside. Well, I, it's something that you should definitely consider. I mean, let's okay. just say that, let's say that um, I created, you know, our, our estate plan in Wisconsin and my husband, and I moved to Florida, but our executors are based in Wisconsin and I die in, in Florida, then that would that would not be valid under Florida law, right? Well, no, it, it, it would go, it's sort of to the default plan. And I mean, there's always sort of a backup, right? If you, if it did turn out that you moved to Florida and your executors weren't living in Florida, the court would nominate an executor. So it's not like your, you know, your whole plan wouldn't fail. It's hard because that's the thing. It's like, oh no, no, you're, you're fine. But that's the thing. It's like, and I think this is sort of the crux of like why, I mean, frankly, it's, this is why we're here. And I think it's why we serve an important an important um, purpose in this, this sort of, because it's sort of that thing of like, why would you know that? Like you, and this is that part I think I want to sort of reassure like Justin and your listeners. It's like, you don't need to try to remember. Like, I don't want anybody's takeaway to be like, if I move to Kentucky or Florida or Ohio, then I should worry about my executors. Like, don't worry about that. Um, contact us if you move, right? And we'll we'll say, where are you moving? And then we'll talk through it. So, I mean, I think, and that's why it's like, and the, the fun part, I mean, this is why Notesong and I, I think are like crazy nerds because, and Notesong is like, Notesong loves to do a deep dive into the statutes and you see that like, or just heard it because it's just, just audio and not video, but like um, her face lights up when she gets to talk through these things and they are important. And, um, but yeah, they, there's little nuances but this, the truth still remains. If you move, you're, you're good to go. You don't need to freak out. And you don't, and this is the other part too that I think my worry is that so many people, especially physicians are like, well, I might only be in this job for three years and then I'm gonna move. And so maybe I should just wait until get my, I get my forever job. Um, and then I will do my estate plan. And that is not <laughs> like, don't do that. Do it now. Yeah, don't, don't wait. Um, yeah, Louisiana. Nathan just made a great point. Oh, oh sorry. Ahead. No, no. Let's not talk about Louisiana. It's okay. I love going there, but um, but it's it's it. Their laws come from the Napoleonic Code from France, and the rest of the country comes from English common law. So that's why it's, and it's not like you know obviously because we've you know many of us have been to Louisiana. It is not a foreign country. It's part of our country, and you know legal tender and things mostly work, but it's all a little bit weird, and so. We're excited. Someday we will be in Louisiana, but it will probably be the 50th state that we enter just because it's swanky. And I love you love it for that reason, right? You love it because it's weird in a way that the rest of the country isn't. 
I do love and appreciate Louisiana for anybody listening I in New Orleans you. right now. Shout out we're to going, you guys. We're going there in September again, and I can't you wait. Are? I Yeah, we are. I didn't tell Beignets you Beignets and Cafe Dumont. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to make a quick plug. So Nathan said, you want to see Note Song's face light up when she's talking about an executor in Florida or whatever. So if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, Justin Harvey YouTube channel, check it out, subscribe. We get, uh, you'll get real time, all the content as we push it out, as well as some other bonus videos and things. So check out the so YouTube channel. Are we going to be um, on YouTube with this? Uh, if you want to be. Oh, it's fine. I just, I probably would have worn a cooler shirt, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I'm wearing a t-shirt. Really this nice. is a safe place. <laughs> um, I want to talk about life insurance ownership. So for mm-hmm. the physician crowd, who's probably using a, a living tr- a living trust to, as part of their comprehensive estate plan, what does that mean in terms of life insurance, the owner for the policy and the beneficiary of the policy? And how do these ideas interact? Well, life insurance is what we put under the umbrella of non-probate assets, but there's still an important consideration for estate planning because, um, and actually this was something I wanted to bring up with you anyway, um, we have a lot of clients that write in and say, okay, what do I do with my life insurance and my retirement plans? Um, And we give them the speech, but the important thing about that is that you have the option of renaming the beneficiary in the name of your living trust. And what that does is it just, you know, it points the assets from that life insurance into the trust. And then the trust details the way that you want everything distributed. Um, The important thing there is that you wanna make sure that you update that if anything in your life changes, because as we all know, life is fluid and things change and relationships change. And especially for folks who get divorced or um, I don't, you know, maybe their kids turn rotten or something like that, like really, really, really bad. (laughs) Really bad. It happens. Um, It does. Those are one of those like, Tales from the trenches that, you know, I mean, but the important thing is that you um, rename the primary beneficiary in the name of the trust. But we always do say, you know, defer to your financial advisors or your your financial counselors, because it really depends on where you are in your lifespan too. Um, For example, we met with my mom's financial planners and and asked if we should do that for her. And, um, And they said, you know, because of where you and your sisters are in your lifespan and your mom, it's just going to be an extra step for you to have to put it into a trust. Um, so we decided not to do that, but it really just, it's, it's so case by case dependent. But, um, but again, those are deemed as non-probate assets. So, yeah. Yeah, but I think that's, again, going back to that idea of phase one, phase two, where phase one is sort of when you create the plan and where you want everything to go. Phase two is when we have those conversations about the assets and, and we do talk about, um, you know, life insurance and retirement accounts, because it is, it's a, and that's like it Notesong said, it's, there's never a one size fits all answer because, you know, Notesong's mom is older. Um, she has three daughters and, you know, so it's like, anyways, the point is that's, it's never, <laughs> we're going to, I know we're going to like, the if then, if then I part. know. And it's not that, it's all good. There's, there are different options. I mean, the key though, is that like, and I think I mentioned this in our last, when we were talking in the last podcast, it's like the, the worry is with life insurance, if you forget to update it and you get divorced and remarried, then bad things happen. So that's why we suggest that people actually just retitle it to sort of move the beneficiary to the trust, just as that way you have one less thing to worry about. But 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the idea of having like a control center, like one place where you can change mm -hmm. everything all at once, very efficient and streamlined, and that be the living trust. Yeah. Uh, it just prevents you from forgetting something or missing something, or it's just mm -hmm. one less form or probably many less forms. Well, and that's, mine. yeah, because I think, and that's the part where I think like people are busy. And I mean, there are some people who are like, and I know you, I'm sure you have clients like this. It's like some people's hobby is just managing their own assets and like watching it all. And we have those clients too that are like, well, I want to draft my own deed. And it's like, hey, if that's what you want to do this weekend is like learn how to draft a quit claim deed, go for it. But we have a lot of clients that are like, I'd rather watch my kids play in the park. How about you draft it? So then we just, you know, there's lots that you, depending on how sort of deep in the trenches you want to be. Are there any other either common mistakes that you've seen or costly mistakes that you've witnessed, things that haven't already been mentioned, but uh, that either you've interacted with one of your clients or maybe you're helping an executor or maybe just something you've heard from a colleague about uh, that you think for this cohort of listeners, high income physicians who probably have families and maybe businesses that would be relevant for them? Yeah. Um, oh, you go first notes on. Oh, well, I was just thinking whenever we're, we're drafting the documents um, and we're, we're talking with clients, you know, even something as simple as um, naming legal guardians, Nathan and I always, always, always advise best practice, but for naming legal guardians, for example, a lot of folks will come to us and say, I want to name this husband and wife as co-legal guardians. And we always, you know, talk to them about that because that you could be setting your kids up for a legal custody battle because there's no guarantees of life and you don't know that that couple is not going to stay together and if your documents say that they go to co-guardians and that couple splits up then you know those kids are going to get stuck in a custody battle um so always trying to and, I, and that's the thing I, I i laugh and i love the way nathan put this but um he said no song we got professional degrees in worrying <laughs> And we do, right? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like have I have to... one of those too, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure you do. I mean, you're a fiduciary, so you get it. Um, but the thing is, it's just, we're, we're trying to anticipate worst case scenarios. And um, and again, there's only so many things that you can predict in life, um, like, like the way your kids will treat you or take advantage of you or naming a couple. Um, some people do name like co-executors. And I, I strongly advise one of my friends not to do that because of his own experience as being co-executive with his sister, who he hates. <laughs> um, it just, you know, it gets all caught up in a legal battle. And then if you get stuck in a rut, who has to resolve it? Right? The courts. And that costs a lot of money. Yeah. I think, I mean, my, not to keep beating the dead horse, but it's like, I think my thing is people that wait. That's my, like, when you ask, like, what are the mistakes that people make? The mistake is waiting. People are like that thing of like, well, I'm going to do it when I hit this point in time, or I'm going to do it when my kids, I, or when I have kids. I mean, we get a lot of clients that are like, oh, our kids are going to, you know, they're pregnant and the kids are coming or the first child is, and they're like, should we wait? And it's like, no, do it now. Cause now is when you don't have a screaming potato, like occupying 20 hours of your day, like, um, <laughs> I'm screaming potato. <laughs> that's I was thinking more like a little sack, like a five pound sack of potatoes or a oh, seven true. and a half pound sack. Well, in North know. Dakota, some of the potatoes are pretty big. They but, are. Um, <laughs> that's but yeah, it's like, um, don't wait, right? It's like mm -hmm. if, and it is sort of that piece of like stepping up. A basic will is better than nothing. A basic will can name who is the guardian of your kids. It establishes who your heirs are. 
it saves money in probate because it, it simplifies that process. This next step up is a living trust where you can then avoid probate. So it's like, but don't wait. That's the part. Like, don't think that you need to sort of take a mini class on trust and estates before you, you know, you don't need to pre-know it. Like, you know, sort of like pre, um, yeah. And nor, and nor do we need, we don't need your bank account numbers, nor do we want them. I don't want those. Um, but a lot of folks also think, I mean, I, we were looking at a, I just was looking at an intake form at, you know, an estate planning firm out there. And it was requesting all of this account numbers and this and that, and, and maybe for, depending on the situation, but we don't need that information and you don't have to prepare that or send that sensitive information to us either. Um, and, and the worksheet that we, we've worked really hard on is so it's like the anti intake form, which is super intimidating. Ours is built to be conversational. It gives you, um, you know, nuts and bolts information as if you're talking to us on my back porch, right? Sipping an ice, an iced tea um, Friday evening in Wisconsin. Did you hear that? Wisconsin. Um, so, <laughs> but you know, we really have, have worked so hard because the estate planning process is so anxiety provoking. It's such an awful topic. I mean, who wants to talk about it? But it's so important. And um, so, yeah, I think Nathan, you said once, um, it really stuck with me when somebody said, you know, it's now the right time or should I wait? And you responded with, you know, like any time is the right time. We're ready when you are. Um, so, you know, just do it. Go for One it. One of the challenges uh, that I see families try to navigate in some cases, and I'm, I'm sure you've run into this, is uh, having to do with asset liquidity. So obviously if I've got 10 bucks, I want to split it between four kids. That's $2 and 50 cents a kid. And that's easy. But if I have 10 bucks and a house or, and one of the kids wants to live in the house or I have a business and two of the kids want to stay in the business and two of them don't. And we need to somewhat equitably divide an estate. Obviously this is very complex and can, context is required, but maybe Describe some of the questions that you might ask or some of the important things to consider as you're counseling one of your clients through a situation where there's a big liquid asset and a desire for equitable bequest. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, um, I think it, I mean, it depends, right? Of course it depends, but it does. Um, a friend of mine, like she was gonna leave the house to her son and then leave sort of the retirement accounts to the other sons. And, and then I, we sort of explain like the way that we can actually do it is sort of put language in that sort of says, you know, that instead of the weird part, it, this is the weird part with these documents is that it, if you sort of dial down on the specifics, you run the risk that it will have unintended consequences a couple of decades down the line. You know, maybe you don't have, like if you have a house worth, you know, um, $300,000, and then you have $600,000 in your bank account, and you have three sons, that works great, because you're like, son A gets the house, and sons B and C split the 600000 everybody gets $300,000. Um, but maybe the house ends up being worth a million, and then the other stuff was just sitting in like a low-yield savings account, right? So it's like, the, it really just depends on the details. And then, the, you know, and in her circumstance, that son that really wanted the house he and his wife moved to Portland and so they don't want the house anymore. So it's, it, I think it really, um, by and large, we really end up advising people in most circumstances to just sort of trust their executor. Because the thing is, is that, I mean, that's really the issue. It's, it's, these are sort of terribly weird documents because you try to think through all these scenarios 
And so you can imagine these sort of very specific scenarios, but yet you don't know which one of them will end up being true. And Not so, to mention, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Um, sorry, just to sort of that idea that like the, that's what the executor is there for, that the executor and, and the way that we draft our documents sort of sort of say is to sort of presume that like the executor will gather the beneficiaries. So if you split everything between your three kids, um, you know, if the house is worth a million and there's only $100,000 in the bank, if the three kids can work out a way to share it, then great. But if they can't, then it has to be sold and split. So it's sort of, um, and we have it set up, you know, sort of there's a, we have, a, <laughs> we have that sort of like eBay function set up into our documents too, where it's like, if there's like, say there's the tacky dog painting, right? Like the dog's playing poker, but it's an original or something, right? And it's worth a lot of money, but there's a lot of money like the kids can like essentially bid on it to be like, well, I want the dog painting. And then the other kid's like, well, I want that. Maybe actually it isn't even an original. Maybe it's just like a $5 reproduction, but it's like dad's dogs playing poker, poker painting and everybody wants it. And they essentially then get to bid on it. Maybe they end up bidding up to like $50,000. And so then that becomes the value of the painting and it sort of offsets against their share. And it's not like we kick the can down intentionally, but the weird part, and this is that thing, it's like the more detail you try to put, it's like, like, are you really sure that your kids really wanna take over your family business? Like, if they do, that's great, but I think, um, yeah, do they? Sounds like some of the best estate planning you can do is cultivating healthy, open communication amongst your family and, building in the trust that is required for an ultimate equitable distribution. Well, but you know, that's the thing. I think one thing that I've, I've observed um, a family that I, I know very, very closely, actually very close friends of ours, but um, they have family meetings every year, once or twice a year. I think I, that's and so brilliant. It is, it is because there is a significant estate involved, but everybody is involved, is welcome, including the in-laws. And so um, everybody gets to be part of this meeting that everybody groans about and, oh, we got to, you know, they got to do it again. And I hear about that, but they have an, it's open communication. So everybody knows what's there, what's bubbling, maybe what kind of investments are happening, but there's, it, it, it is such a gift to this family because they're having conversations that are going to prevent fights in the future. And there always will be, right. There's always going to be like, well, I feel like I think they said this, but everybody was there. And then you have what? You have five witnesses who said, well, no, I'm pretty sure that dad said this. So I think really keeping open communication and, um, and really talking about these things with your family members, um, and, you know, depending, again, it depends on the situation. Sometimes some of your private information you don't want to share with family members that you know might be a little bit more contentious, right? Um, but just be open and, and talk to your family members about it. So, I mean, I even, for Memorial Day, we have a tradition of going to um, my husband's family's graveyards, you know, they, to go see the ancestors. And his dad tells a story of, okay, this is great grandpa Thompson who came to Wisconsin and stuck the thing in the ground, a homestead act, um, but tells us the whole story. And as we were there, my 10 year old says to me, well, mom, are you going to be buried in the Catholic you know, cemetery, because you're not Catholic. I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's allowed, but I don't want to be buried anyway. I want to be cremated. Um, so we've normalized this conversation where well, growing up for me, I couldn't even say the D word, 
but again, it's just, it really comes down to, I think, having conversations that, that make it sound like these are just, just in case plans. And I want to talk to you about it. So you all know. I think there's definitely people listening to this who think, holy cow, this is an amazing idea. Uh, are there any resources or anything that you can point toward, whether it's a book or a paradigm or something that we can add it in the show notes, by the way. So this will be apmsuccess.com slash 105. Anything that comes to mind immediately? Yes, actually. Oh my gosh. I have so many it's like face lighting up. Yes. Face lighting yeah. up. YouTube. Um, Check out the YouTube channel. <laughs> so this is, this is the nurse note song coming out because like the healthcare directive has been my baby. Um, only because, um, you know, it's such an important document. All of these are important documents, but just being a nurse, having um, been in that backup, backup, backup healthcare agent role for my dad when he passed away, which was awful. But, you know, even in his passing, I learned so much from that experience and how he planned for that. Um, but I've got great resources for you and I'll send you links, but if they're conversation starters, starters is, is what it's really all about, because a lot of people also have parents that don't have this set up. And so, yeah, how do you, how do you say to your parent, like, uh, you figured out what you're going to do with your stuff. Um, and it's just such an uncomfortable topic. Like who wants to bring it up, but I will send you all sorts of resources. Nathan, anything you would add? No. <laughs> I did it. I had you a very, very simple answer. You did, but yeah, no. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Um, I want to, so two more questions, and then we can wrap this up. Uh, I'm curious from a, and I don't know if this is like way too hypothetical, just you could stop me in my tracks, but from a proposed legislation standpoint and household exemption and portability, um, Right now it's, you know, you can pass 12 million bucks to your kids, 12 million plus without any uh, federal estate tax implications. I've heard talks that that might come way, way, way down, which is a big deal. Um, I remember this was again, right at the beginning of my career, the year that George Steinbrenner died. It was 2010, I think, or it was, it was like the, the one year where there was no cap. And so the entire Yankees passed to, uh, you know, whatever, to the heirs without federal income tax on the value of the franchise, which was a funny little idiosyncratic circumstance historically. But um, we could easily go from a place where, well, not many people that I know have $12 million sitting around to a lot of people that I know have a million. Uh, many clients who are professionals and working for a few years quickly accumulate assets. And so planning around this ceiling all of a sudden becomes perhaps more urgent. So can you describe a little bit about the way that you think about that or would encourage others to think about that if, if that's as that's like a thing on the horizon I'm I mean I it's weird this is one of those pieces where I feel like how do I want to put it we don't know what's going to happen and so to sort of try to game the system ahead of time feels to me I mean it's fun I get that we like to talk about it but I don't no there's nothing that people <laughs> should be doing right now is what you're saying. No, I mean, well, and the thing is, I guess my worry again is that this will be another thing where I'm like, I am not going to do my estate plan yet because there's uncertainty about the estate plan. And that's, that's my real worry is like, I guess that's the thing that I feel like is really, it's what worries me about these conversations, because I think if, if there's a dramatic shift in, in sort of the, the caps and stuff, there will be a response, but let's not try to sort of build that in, um, yet. And certainly I, I don't want people to wait on it because they're worried that that might change. I mean, I think, you know, again, they, especially if you have kids, I mean, whether or not you, I mean, nobody wants to pay extra taxes, right? 
but it's not the end of the world. Like better to get your plan set up and then forget to update it after this changes. And maybe there's some income tax that gets pulled out before your kids' trusts get um, set up. But the other mechanism is that all this money goes to your kids. And then when they're 18, they get all of it because you didn't get around to setting up your trusts and then your kids blow it all on hookers and booze, right? It's like, that's <laughs> like, it, it, in the wire, it's like it's there's a there's a risk. There's there there's risks everywhere, and I think the bigger risk to me is still that people just don't get it done. That's well, and, the biggest one. And for and we can point to celebrities, right? They're all of their state estate planning or lack of is in the news. Prince, um, you right? He died in 2016, so five yeah five years ago. His estate plan is not wrapped up yet because he didn't even have a basic will. And they're looking at seven to $8 million of legal fees. And there's still somebody in Denver, the last I heard, who's in prison, who said he's the love child of Prince and therefore should be, oh yeah, I keep up with this. I keep up with this. But, or the, you know, the, um, the CEO of Zappos, he didn't have, and his, his dad and brother, they're caught up in just trying to be established as, uh, as financial agents to get access to his accounts. Chadwick Boseman, I think I mentioned that on our, our talk, Justin, but his wife has to pay up to $45,000 in probate fees in California to establish that she's his rightful heir. I mean, it's just, you know, and this actually, this is a really good segue back to, you know, what we talked about before is that just don't wait, just do it. But also with, with us, we're, you know, Nathan and I are kind of old fashioned too. We're up on the technology, but we love more than anything talking to people and we want to you know, talk by phone. I get so excited. And we've lately gotten a rash of um, prospective clients who've written to us and said, hi, I just want to introduce and juice myself. And isn't <laughs> so that great? Yeah, I know. I, love I, I do too. And I miss that the most is that we don't get to meet people in person. Um, but the best, this is the next best thing. And thanks to the pandemic, everybody's kind of used to virtual chat. So when, when I meet people, it's always like, oh my gosh, hi, hi, hi. So that's what we want. Give us a call and, you know, yeah. we'll help you figure out what you need. I want to wrap it up. Uh, and I thank both of you for your time and expertise for the last few weeks sharing with our APM success audience. Um, I'm curious if there are any anecdotes or stories or things that you've encountered or, you know, cause you know, in the space where you interact, and this is similar to, to my job, it's a very intimate space with the clients that you serve and being able to see significant vulnerability, significant um, moments of like emotional, you know, circumstance or love or hatred, or just, you know, there's a lot that you as a total stranger get to witness about a person that most of their friends probably, I mean, in some cases, literally nobody else knows or can see. So in some kind of way, without, you know, violating <laughs> your, uh, I was going to say like, um, without violating confidence, um, can you maybe just give us a little flavor for something, uh, as, as attorneys, an instance that stands out to you where you kind of got to see something really special with a client that just sort of left a mark on you? I can think of one, but can you think of one, Nathan? I mean, I think I- nothing I can was, think of several, I don't know. Well, Note Song, that's the thing. Note Song is the one that really, I think is better at this. I, I mean, for me, I just, I, what I come back to are the people that are really excited that sort of say like, wow. I mean, honestly, one of our clients said that didn't suck. Um, and that has become like my like motto for our organization is like, that didn't suck. Um, so, I mean, people, you know, when people get it done, it's again, that weird thing. It's like, everybody knows, everybody knows that you need a will. 
right? It's just like, everybody knows that. Like, and that's the weird thing is like, get, I mean, it's like, we don't need to educate people. Like you need a will. It's like, we just need to tell you like, get it done. Like that's the part. Um, and so when people do get it done, they, they get really excited, which is really neat to share because when I was doing lending and it's like they, or real estate work, it's like, <laughs> you know, you just like, wow, you have a, like a 30 year debt you know, all this stuff. Um, but people get really excited when they have it done. And they really like that whole notion of like peace of mind. It It's real. Like there's a sense of accomplishment. Um, I think it actually helps. So I'm, my husband is a marriage and ther family therapist, but in a weird way, like, I think I, I certainly don't do what he does or as much good as he does, but I think this helps a lot of marriages because usually there's one spouse that is like, we well, need to get this done. And then there's the other spouse. that's like, oh, I just don't. And so I think we get to we get to help people's families on so many levels, like a peace of mind way, like a reducing friction and getting things checked off. But do I have well, a if I had a specific thing, I wouldn't share it. <laughs> but but this does. I mean, it 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 really is sort of like the thousand um, points of light thing, where it, it's it's really it's been hugely rewarding to actually be able to help people like this. Well, and I think. Um... I don't know. It's weird. Somebody, people are shocked when they hear that I'm a nurse that went to law school, right? They seem to be complete opposites, but Thoughtful Wills has become something that I think has really brought both of those careers together. And I miss nursing. I miss bedside nursing more than anything, more than anything. And so I get to, as a production guru of, of our law firm, I get to get in touch with clients and say, oh my gosh, I love the final wishes that you wrote. That was so thoughtful. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to is when people are really thoughtful about the process and deciding who they're putting their, their life's hand, you know, putting their hands, um, their life into their, these people's hands. Um, it's my way of being able to give TLC. It's my bedside care in our law firm. So yeah. Yeah. And we get to help, we get to help get those wishes perfect. It's a beautiful thing. And something that my wife and I, I, I remember sitting around the table with our, like, you know, our four month old at the time who was like, you know, I was like, all right, I guess it's time. We gotta, we gotta get the guardian. So we might as well do the whole thing and going through this, like, so under what circumstances, you know, Justin, do you want me to pull the plug or, you know, the, whatever the sort of, and it was to soberly sit with that question. Um, is it's, it's jarring, I'll be honest. And I've like helped people kind of through this tangentially as a financial planner, uh, but to stare it in the face, it's, uh, it's jarring. So I'm grateful for the valuable service that you provide and the way that you make it as easy as possible. And uh, I thank you for your time today uh, on APM Success. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much, Justin. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.